In Mark 11:13, Jesus is hungry. He may have skipped breakfast, we're not told. But he's on his way back to Jerusalem from Bethany. In the distance, he sees a fig tree. But on inspection, Jesus finds no fruit, plenty of leaves, but no fruit. It appears that leaves are not enough because Jesus curses the tree. Have you ever wondered why Jesus was so hard on this fig tree? After all, Mark makes a point of mentioning that it wasn't the right season for figs to even be on the tree. But Jesus curses it. It seems a little out of character. Was it? What exactly was Jesus doing? What was he saying? And what might Jesus be saying to his church today through this acted parable? Now let's listen to Justin read all of chapter 11. Mark chapter 11. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethage, and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead of you. And just as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord needs it and will send it back here shortly. They went and found a colt outside in the street, tied at a doorway. As they untied it, some people standing there asked, what are you doing untying that colt? They answered as Jesus had told them to, and the people let them go. When they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks over it, he sat on it. Many people spread their cloaks on the road, while others spread branches they had cut in the fields. Those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest heaven. Jesus entered Jerusalem and went into the temple courts. He looked around at everything. But since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. The next day as they were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry. Seeing in the distance a fig tree and leaf, he went to find out if it had any fruit. When he reached it, he found nothing but leaves, because it was not the season for figs. Then he said to the tree, May no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard him say it. On reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple courts and began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves, and would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. And as he taught them, he said, Is it not written, My house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. The chief priests and the teachers of the law heard this and began looking for a way to kill him. For they feared him because the whole crowd was amazed at his teaching. When evening came, Jesus and his disciples went out of the city. In the morning as they went along, they saw the fig tree withered from the roots. Peter remembered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, look, the fig tree you cursed has withered. Have faith in God, Jesus answered. Truly I tell you, if anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea 
and does not doubt in their heart, but believes that what they say will happen, it will be done for them. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them so that your father in heaven may forgive you your sins. They arrived again in Jerusalem And while Jesus was walking in the temple courts, the chief priests and teachers of the law and the elders came to him. By what authority are you doing these things, they asked. And who gave you authority to do this? Jesus replied, I will ask you one question. Answer me and I will tell you by what authority I am doing these things. John's baptism. Was it from heaven or of human origin? Tell me. They discussed it among themselves and said, If we say from heaven, he will ask, then why didn't you believe him? But if we say of human origin, they feared the people for everyone held that John really was a prophet. So they answered Jesus, we don't know. Jesus said, neither will I tell you by what authority I am doing these things. The gospel of our Lord. Thanks be to God. I'm centering my comments today on the cursing of the fig tree and the cleansing of the temple. The incident of Jesus' cursing the fig tree has been a gnarly, head-scratching incident for a very long time. Even Bishop N.T. Wright states it looks most peculiar. It is the only reported miracle where the result is destruction instead of restoration. The cursing of the fig tree and its subsequent withering form a sandwich around Jesus driving the money changers and vendors from the court of the Gentiles in the temple. It's actually kind of a layered sandwich. First, there's Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem, after which we are told that Jesus goes into the temple and he walks around looking at everything. It's late in the day. So he and the twelve go on to Bethany for the night. On his way back to Jerusalem, Jesus is hungry. He sees the tree. He sees no fruit, and he curses it. Back in Jerusalem, Jesus cleanses the temple and announces to everyone that this place, which is supposed to be a house of prayer for all nations, the Jewish religious leaders have allowed to become a den of robbers and thieves. Lastly, after leaving Jerusalem, Jesus and the twelve see the fig tree completely withered down to its very roots. These events are all tied together. To answer the question on our minds regarding this parable, Jesus isn't being too hard on the fig tree and he isn't acting out of character because this is actually not about that fig tree. Jesus is using the fig tree to act out a sad but profound truth about Israel. The fig tree was often seen as a symbol of Israel, her health, her prosperity, and her spiritual condition. Cursing the fig tree was a prophetic proclamation. Victor of Antioch states Jesus used the fig tree to set forth a judgment that was about to fall on Jerusalem. 
And theologian Dr. R.T. France states that Israel is a barren temple. Another commentator states, like the fig tree, Israel has failed to bear fruit, failed to restore the covenant faithfulness of God or his abundant mercy, and so has failed to be a light in the darkness, a house of prayer for all nations. The cleansing of the court of the Gentiles was a prophetic action. The court of the Gentiles was a very large space in Herod's temple where Gentiles, foreigners, and aliens could approach the holiest sections of the temple. They couldn't get any closer, but they could get this far. In Isaiah 56, we read, Let no foreigner who is bound to the Lord say the Lord will surely exclude me from his people. Instead, as Isaiah goes on further to say in chapter 56, foreigners who bind themselves to the Lord to minister to him, to love the name of the Lord, and to be his servants, all who keep the Sabbath without desecrating it, and who hold fast to my covenant, these I will bring to my holy mountain and give them joy in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and sacrifices will be accepted on my altar, for my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. In the cleansing of the temple, Jesus is making an enormous prophetic statement. He's saying to the religious leaders, don't you see this space is intended for those who the Father is calling, the stranger, the alien, the Gentile, to also be part of his family. That's been part of the plan since Abraham. You have been called to be a light to the Gentiles. What have you done? You've turned the space where the Gentile and the stranger are allowed to gather into an unholy bazaar of buying, selling, and even cheating. So we're done here. Even as I read that phrase, we're done here, my heart becomes so sad. Jesus is saying to Israel, we're done here. First of all, what you see here today will soon be destroyed. And even though you don't get it, my father's plan to bring the Gentiles in, it will happen, but not in the way you expected. This is not the only place where a parable about a fig tree is taught. In Luke 13, Jesus tells this story. A man had a fig tree growing in his vineyard, and he went to look for fruit on it, but did not find any. Sound familiar? So he said to the man who took care of the vineyard, for three years now, I've been coming to look for fruit on this fig tree and haven't found any. Cut it down. Why should it use up the soil? Sir, the man replied, leave it alone for one more year, and I'll dig around it and fertilize it. If it bears fruit next year, fine. If not, then cut it down. The three years of the fig tree can be compared to Jesus' three years of public ministry. There's still time for the fig tree, which is Israel, to repent and recognize the truth. But will Israel repent and recognize the truth? 
know. In Mark 11, we see Jesus on his way to Jerusalem to be tried, scourged, and crucified. The end of his time on earth has arrived. After three years, there is still no fruit to be found on the fig tree, Israel. And in AD 70, the temple and Jerusalem were destroyed by the Romans. The curse was fulfilled. So the question for us is, in this acted parable, what might Jesus be saying to his church? When Jesus walked through the temple after the triumphal entry, looking at everything, what do you think he was looking for? What do you think he saw? Well, I think he saw tables and baskets and animal cages, areas roped off for lots of animals. And it was probably jammed with those items because it was the week of Passover and people from everywhere were coming to the temple in Jerusalem. The stage was set for a huge week of commerce. Jesus, of course, wasn't looking for that. As always, Jesus was looking for signs of life, real life, the true life that comes from being connected to God, the God-connected life that is not barren, but is continually bearing fruit. What Jesus saw in the temple was activity focused not on God and his agenda, but activity focused on the fruitless activity of man's agenda. He was looking to see if there was any light in the darkness for the Gentiles, but there was no light at all. He was looking for fruit, the fruit of righteousness, the fruit of repentance, the fruit of faith, the fruit of forgiveness. But there was no fruit. He may have seen physical objects like vessels and things used in worshiping God in the holy places further into the temple. He saw the physical evidence of religious activity. But did he see any fruit? No. From the story of the fig tree and the account of the cleansing of the temple, we have to ask, is Jesus speaking to us, his church, prophetically as well? Right now, we're in such a unique time. Things that we took for granted would always stay the same. Our routines, our behavior patterns, what makes our life tick, well, those, those things have all gone south. And this is not a small thing. Recently, NPR interviewed a child psychologist about what children needed right now. She played recordings of children having complete, inconsolable meltdowns when they found out that with no more trips to the restaurant, they had to continue eating only their mother's cooking. Another broke down when she was told that visits to the McDonald's play area were over. You know, it'd be easy to laugh at all of this if it weren't so true and if it weren't so close to home. I don't know about you, but I have so much more compassion for the children of Israel wanting to go back to Egypt to eat garlic and cucumbers. I recently read an article in the New York Times about the probable and profound impact the pandemic will have on every aspect of our lives, social, economic, educational, you name it. 
The author compared it to the impact of the Great Depression and World War II, which shaped more than one generation, including my own. As I was reading this article, I found myself asking over and over exactly how is the pandemic impacting the church? How long-lasting will the impact on the church be? What might it look like? Will things be lost? Will things be gained? And will our number one priority be to recreate the pre-pandemic church because we miss it and yearn so badly for it? So in this major interruption to how we normally do church, what does Jesus want to say? We know he's walking around the church today looking at everything because that's what he does. He's constantly drawing his people to a place of greater growth and fruitfulness. Oh yes, he's still looking for fruit, the fruit of life based on our deep connection with him, the fruit of faith based on the confidence we have in him because we have determined to know him. And he's looking for forgiveness. We forgive others, we ask for forgiveness, and we receive forgiveness, the fruit of our redemption. What do you think? What do you think God is saying to the church? What are you hearing? I don't know how this will all play out, but let's think about this. The time will actually come, and I know it doesn't seem like it's coming fast enough, but the time will actually come when we will be able to sort out all the puzzle pieces of our congregational life. I would urge us to seriously consider something. Let's not too quickly or automatically put all the puzzle pieces back together to form an identical picture of our pre-pandemic church life. This unique time is an opportunity we don't want to miss or misunderstand. Some of the wheels that keep the life and activity of the church moving, they've stopped, well, they've slowed down, or some of them have completely fallen off. But the point is that we've been given an opportunity to look at things differently because, you see, the moving wheels aren't currently distracting us as much. I don't think I'm kidding myself. We're going to need a lot of faith to even think about these things. I was sharing with Ruth Martin the other day that the picture that came to me when I was reflecting on the church asking these hard questions of itself was of the sheer rock face of El Capitan in Yosemite Park in Central California. Over 7,500 feet of sheer vertical granite. Sheer face. Sheer meaning no place to put your foot as you attempt to climb this crazy thing. That's what I think of when I consider what we might need in order to follow Jesus toward the post-pandemic church he has in mind. We are going to need outrageous trust that he will show us where to put our feet and that he'll keep us from falling off. Church, what do you think? What are you hearing? In John 15, Jesus says, I am the vine, 
you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up. And they gather them and cast them into the fire and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. Let's pray together. Father God, right now, we just want something in our lives to feel normal and familiar. Of course, at the same time, Lord, we also really want you to be God, like in charge, in charge of our hearts, our homes, and in charge of Cornerstone. There's part of us that doesn't like the fact that our yearning for what has been is so powerful but it's there. So Lord, in light of our spirits and minds being all over the map, we ask you to give us a relentless courage to want more than anything what you want. Lord God, if we have gotten distracted or sidetracked by maintaining leaves, if it's gotten too comfortable and too familiar to just sit in the shade of all of our well-tended leaves, Father, please send your Holy Spirit to speak to us about it. Give us what we need to hear it and to fully engage it. Lord, we belong to you. We are yours. Cornerstone belongs to you. Cornerstone is yours. And Lord, when you're taking a stroll around Cornerstone, looking at everything, we want you to find fruit. Lord Jesus, we need you and we trust you. And we pray all this in your matchless name. Amen. Amen.